happening and I love and I'm so enjoying it. But the one thing that I desire is just to be close with God no matter what. Whether it's revival season, whether it's whatever the issue, I just want more of Jesus. And so today my message is three things that happen with repentance. If you go through all the revivals, the first and great awakening, the, the revival in Wales, the, you know, you can go back to Acts 2, all the, the different revivals, the awakenings, Brownsville, Pensacola, Lakeland, Toronto Blessing, all these, it all started with repentance. It's the body of Christ saying, hey, look, we messed up. God, forgive us of this, that, and the other, and crying out. So Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 3, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist, one of his key messages, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Beyond salvation, probably one of the greatest gifts God has given man is the ability to repent. Without an ability to repent, we wouldn't be able to enter the kingdom of God. Repentance always leads to a better state and always precedes a greater measure of the presence of God. What is repentance? Repentance means it's an about turn, a turnaround. It's a 180, not a 360. Sometimes we do the 360. Lord, I don't want to, okay, I don't want to. But it's a 180. It's going down one path and saying, forgive me, Lord, and you turn and you go the other direction. The Greek term for repentance, melo, melonia, it is a change of mind, a reorientation, a fundamental transformation of outlook, a new way of loving others and God. We must be a people that we are repentive of what we do, known and unknown sins. Sometimes we do stuff and we just don't know. That's why we have to say, Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me? This statement opens up a whole number of issues. It goes beyond obvious sins. It includes things that substitute God. God is on the throne of our lives, but with, with technology and things, we can replace Jesus and we put something else. Could be making money, it could be Netflix, could be video games. That was my advice for many years. It wasn't until my wife was like, Josh, you have an addiction. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not addicted. Come eat then. I gotta play this last game. Rah! I mean, you got issues. She was very happy when we took it to the country and used it for target practice. <laughs> Shot that PlayStation up. Anything that captures our attention and affection, repentance should produce something. And what it produces is change. Acts 17.30 in the NIV, it says, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance is a very important issue in the Bible. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is, is near. Jesus' first sermon, 
Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can go to Acts, Peter's first message after Pentecost. Acts 2.38 and 3.19, 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3.19 of Acts, it says, Repent, therefore turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Paul preached repentance, Acts 20.21. 20, it says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, beloved, is the gospel. Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Beloved, salvation doesn't come before repentance. We must practice repentance if we are to enjoy unbroken fellowship with the Lord. So three things that comes from repentance. Number one, repentance brings refreshing. Acts 3.19 says this, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I mean, imagine a person who is overcome and they're in the desert and they're just hot and they're, and they're without oxygen. Without physical air, our physical bodies die. I mean, try holding your breath underwater and see what happens. Go to the moon and take off your space helmet and see what happens. We cannot live without oxygen. But also... Without the breath of the Spirit, we begin to suffocate spiritually. Repentance allows times of refreshing to come into our lives. One thing that sin does is it causes you to always think that God is mad at you. We've all been there. You've messed up and, and you're like, oh man, God's upset with me. God's mad. That's what sin does. I mean, I'm a, I'm a PK. I grew up in the church. I had my times where I kind of went and did my own thing for a while. And, and I always felt like when you messed up, it's like, oh, God is so upset with you. God is mad at you. And you feel this shame, this guilt, and it's, it's hard to come back. But the God, it's like the prodigal son. And, and this is what people fail to realize, and I believe it's a lie of the enemy. God is mad at you. He hates you because you messed up. No, if you go back into the Gospels and the story of the prodigal son, it's a type and shadow of our Heavenly Father. It doesn't say that when he saw the son, he was like, dang you, son, I can't believe it. You were this and that. That's not what it says. It says that he was actively looking. And when he saw his son, he hugged him, he kissed him. He gave him a rope, threw him a party. And there's so many times we, the enemy tries to lie to us and say, don't, don't, you don't need to repent from that. You don't need to do. God is always going to be upset because the enemy knows if he keeps you out of repentance, he's going to keep you bound. 
Don't you always feel better when you get things off your chest? I know I do. You're having a rough day or, or whatnot, and, and sometimes I just have to go tell my wife. I'm like, Tiffany. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm a guy. You know, guys, we like to internalize stuff. And how are you doing today? You know, Tiff, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm fine. You don't seem fine. I'm fine. Everything's all pent up inside. But then when I'm like, baby, this is what's going on. This, this, that, and the other. And it feels like a weight has been lifted. Repentance brings refreshing. Number two, repentance brings restoration. Matthew 17, 11, it says, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. In Luke 1, 17, it said, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. The spirit of repentance brings restoration. The Greek word means this. It means to recover, to renew, to bring, and I love this, to bring back to a better state. The dictionary definition of repentance is to bring back to the original state. What is the original state? before the fall of man. That's the original state. And that only happens because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then we can go to Jesus and repent of our sins. And then as the dictionary says, we get to being brought back to our original state. The biblical definition of repentance is to make better than the original. I'll read that again, to make better than the original. Well, I thought the garden was great. Well, guess what? God had something even better than that. Mark 10, 28 through 30, and it says, then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Beloved, in our lives, we have lost so much in sin and consequences. I can say, man, I, 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 there, where would I be if there was this portion in my life that I didn't do stuff? Where would I be? What could I have accomplished? We are broken. We are dysfunctional. We're defected in our ways, defective in our ways, our thinking and our view of ourselves. We are bound by brokenness, emotional scars, hurts, rejections, and habits. Through repentance, through confessing and looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we can be restored. You will no longer be broken or dysfunctional. You won't be defective in your ways. Your thinking and views of yourself will be different. You will no longer be bound by brokenness. You will no longer have emotional scars. You won't have hurts. You won't have rejections or bad habits. 
I like to tell my young people when we're in the community or, you know, just in church or whatnot, I'm like, hey, guys, life is hard with Jesus, but it's impossible without him. Repentance brings restoration. There is, this, there is a season in my life where, you know, you get kind of stagnant. And I'm like, God, I just, I just feel like I'm stagnant. I'm here. I'm not really, I'm not doing what I, what I know you've called me to do. Pray for people and it's kind of like nothing really happens. And there's just this stagnant, stagnantation. I don't even know if that's a word. I made up a word. You'll learn very quickly with me. I make up a lot of words. There we go, stagnation. I didn't say I was the most educated person in the world. <laughs> I just love Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and I remember going through a season, and I was just like, man, I just feel so stagnant. And it wasn't until secret sins that I thought that were hidden, skeletons in my closet and that I thought that weren't dealt with came out to win the finally repentance, deliverance, and then finally restoration and refreshing came. And now I'm like, I'm never going back. Amen. Number three, repentance brings revival. Number three is repentance brings revival. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 11 in the NIV, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. The context of the first letter to the Corinthian church where Paul addressed the number of issues regarding sin and their response to it. The amazing thing is this. One, they didn't realize the depth of their sin. Oh, man, we didn't know we were that bad. Paul's rebuking everybody. And they're just like this, getting their face melted. Oh, man, I didn't know that. They thought. All right, let's see if I get censored on Facebook. They thought real love ignored sin and consequences. That is some stuff that it's nothing new. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. You could look in today's church. If Paul was here, I bet he would say the exact same thing to the Corinthian church. One, hey, you guys don't realize the death of your sin. How did we sin, Lord? He can say through tithes and offerings. He can say love. I mean, he's probably can, he can probably get us on a lot of stuff. 
Another thing as the Corinthian church, they thought that real love ignored sin and consequences. That isn't real love. When I was younger, I had a, you know, I, I'm a conservative family. My dad was a pastor, so he really believed the Bible. All right, guys, you, you know, we did something wrong. It was spanking time. We get our spanking. All right, everything off right now. Get me a switch. Get me a belt, chancla, whatever that was in reach. <laughs> he would spank us, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, your butt's on fire. And then I did this because I love you. Well, then stop loving me so much, dang it. But what it wasn't until I got older is that I realized, and I tell my kids this, if I didn't love you, I would let you live any way you wanted to. If my dad didn't love me, he would just let me be a little hellion and do whatever I want. God knows where I would be at. We think in the church that real love ignores sin and consequences. We look at sin in the church. We, I'll even say this because this is something that's been, I've been confronted with in ministry these past couple months. There's a lifestyle, I'm not going to get too deep, but there's a lifestyle that's contrary to the word of God. And because people have a gift set, because we're too scared to say no, well, I can't say no because they're great singers, they have great gift sets, we can't be without. I will love them where they're at and I will allow sin in the camp. We have to be a church that says, you know what? I don't care if I'm by myself. Sin is sin. I don't care if Roger's up there by himself. We don't have to put people in certain places because we don't have enough and allow sin to run rampant in the camp. We have this false ideology of, you know, we just, we, we just love them where they're at. Yes, that's true. But there has to be a time where we be, bring people out of sin. Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't go to their level. He brought them up. But so many times as believers, bad company corrupts good morals. We may have good intentions, but we get with the wrong people. And instead of being a thermostat and dictating the atmosphere, we become a thermometer and we let the atmosphere dictate us. The second issue that the Corinthians has, they thought real love ignored sin and consequences. No, if I, I guarantee you, if I had, let, let's just, if I had some misgivings, I was out running around on my wife, I guarantee you nobody in this room is going to be like, we love Josh, we'll just let him continue to do what he does. So if you would hold us, certain people, in account, accountability why don't we do it to everybody else we see our friends we see our neighbors I'm not saying you got to get in everybody's grill and be like turn or burn baby that's not what I'm saying but people know you know people come around me they start cussing and doing all this stuff and they know where I stand and then usually they pick up and they're like hey I'm sorry and I'm like that's all right that's not how I act and I lead by example. We should lead by example. People should know, well, Laura, she doesn't do this. Laura, why don't you drink? Why don't you do this, this, that, or the other? It's because I love Jesus. 
And because he filled me up so much that these worldly things, they just don't do it for me anymore. We have to be a people. Real love is saying, hey, look, I love you. You're great. Jesus loves you. But what you're doing, this sin you're doing, that's not you. We need to start as believers, start talking into people's identity. I'm not talking false identity. Well, I identify as a cat now. No, that, that's not your identity. Your identity is that you were created by the uncreated one who breathed life into you. Your identity is not a cat. Your identity is not a female if you're a male. Your identity, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. As you can see, I grew up in the 90s <laughs> with all the cliches and the grew up way in the... <laughs> but beloved, so part of repentance is not, you know, is not conforming to this world, but calling people up. It's not being judgmental, because you'll get that. Oh, you're just being judgmental. No. I heard, I heard people say, you know, Josh, you're just homophobic. I'm not homophobic. I'm cynophobic. Big difference. Love the people, hate the sin. I love everybody, but guess what? I want you to come up to where I'm at. And it's not even me. It's really, I want you to come up to where Jesus is at. Because Jesus loves you, but he don't really, he's not very fond of that lifestyle. So we must be a people that real love is saying, hey, I love you, but I'm calling you to a higher place. The third thing that uh, in the Corinthian church is that sin in our lives can ruin more than those involved. We think, oh, I'm just doing this. It only affects me. No, it doesn't. If you're, if you're a, a guy and you're caught in pornography, you may think, well, it's only affecting me. But no, it's affecting your wife. It's affecting your children. It's affecting people around you. We are so self-centered and selfish thinking that when we go do something, it only affects me. Go get drunk and go drive home drunk and see who you affect. It just doesn't affect you. There's innocent people that get messed up. Sin in our lives can ruin more than those who are involved. You see, the letter had brought out about a repentive spirit. When Paul released this letter, was given this letter to the Corinthian church, the letter brought about a repentant spirit resulting in the fruit of zealousness for the Lord. The amazing thing is that we can be so blind to things that, are contrary even in our own lives that are contrary to the word of God if we do not have a repentive spirit. If we're not like waking up in the morning, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, reveal, reveal the secret stuff. Reveal the secret stuff that I, I may not know that I did. I mean, there's stuff, and, and I tell people, I love everybody, but I guarantee you, I, I pray it doesn't happen. I'll probably piss somebody off in here one of these days. Not on purpose. I don't wake up and be like, all right, I'm really going to just give it to Patty today. 
I want to give her the business. <laughs> I don't wake up, you know, thinking that. But because I am a person, I'm a human, I, I mess up. I may say something with a pure heart. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, I might say something and it's totally with a pure heart. And then Patty takes it as an offense. I do that to my wife all the time. I mean, I'm just saying facts. You know, she'll say something and I'll say something back. And then next thing I know, she's not talking to me. She's irritated with me. I'm like, what is going on three weeks later? It's because you said something two weeks ago. I'm like, that's not what I meant, but it's the way you said it. I was just stating a fact. <laughs> Repentance brings revival. Revival is defined as an awakening of men and women to their spiritual concerns. It's a renewed zeal. As we saw, there was an impact in this church, in the Corinthian church. We saw earnestness, eagerness, which is full of desire. Earnestness is seriousness. Eagerness, which is they had full of desire. Indignation, they were moved by anger. Not anger for just for the heck of it, like, oh, somebody stepped on my shoe or somebody was spinning around with their flag and they hit me in the face. Not that kind of anger. It's an anger, it's that righteous anger that God has where you hate sin. You hate injustice. There is an alarm. They announce danger. Hey, guys, we got to stay away from that. We can't watch this movie. We can't go to this place. There's movies I don't watch because people tell me, hey, man, you probably don't want to watch that. And I love movies. Now, I don't watch horror movies, but I'm a movie guy. And probably up here, you'll see me, I'll probably say a lot of movie quotes, a lot of movie things, and you'll look at me all crazy. I just love movies. I don't watch horror movies or anything like that. But there's movies that I want to go watch, and people are like, hey, I went and saw it. You probably shouldn't go watch it. That is announcing danger. I guarantee you, if I walk, let's just say I walk out this room, and there's a big old hole in the, in, the, in the concrete. Oh, man, and I jump over it, and then Pastor Frank comes out, and I don't say anything, and I watch him fall in the hole. Isn't that messed up? As believers, we're supposed to announce to each other danger. Hey, Pastor Frank, watch out, there's a hole. There's always, we, we, I don't know why society has stopped warning people. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's called the passerby, what is it? The, it's, the by, it's the bystander effect. It's where you watch people go and do and get hurt. Remember this one time we were, <clears throat> we took a group from the west side of San Antonio and we're like, hey guys, we're gonna get everybody cappuccinos at, at Exxon or something like that. So we bring our little youth kids, all our kids from Cassiano and San Juan, and we're walking into one of the stores, and this lady comes screaming, help me! And she's holding this, her daughter in her arms. And we're just kind of like looking around, we're like, what the heck is going on? This little girl's having a seizure. And so my wife and I, we just kind of know better. We just, all right, let's go for it. And we're like jumping action. We're grabbing the daughter, putting her on the ground, you know, clearing her airways, praying over, calling. Everybody else is like this. What do we do? We don't know. You know, my wife's screaming, somebody call 911. We don't, what's the number for 911? <laughs> Nueve uno uno. 
And so it wasn't until you started praying. But I remember after the ambulance came and everything kind of settled down, the mom came over and was like, thank you. I went to go pay for, I had like, we filled up a whole 15-seater van full of youth kids. I went to go pay and the clerk was like, you know what, guys, take it. Thank you for doing what you just, it's on us. We have to be a people where we warn, warn of danger. I'm not saying, you know, there's, there, there's a person in our church, <clears throat> you know, she's a seer. She saw something on somebody's boyfriend and kind of gave a warning like, hey, this, mm-mm, I wouldn't go down that road. And then everybody's upset. We have to be a people where we warn. There's a longing. It's a vehement desire or craving. It's like the Jesus freaks in the Jesus revolution. We want more of you, Jesus, or we'll bust. I always come to church with an expectation to see. If I go home and no one gets prayed, we don't see anything, I'm like, that's a lousy church. I'm sorry, I'm just being bad. That's... That's a Josh-ism that doesn't mean, okay, that's just me. Because I come to the place where I know God dwells in us, but I come to a place with an expectation that everywhere I go, Jesus is going to move. An a vehement desire, a craving. You know, you wake up early, you know, you call people, you're praying with people. Glenn and Grace and, and Tiffany and myself, we meet every Monday just to pray for revival, just to pray. Why? Because there's a craving for the Holy Spirit. We don't, you know, the manifestations, you know, are, are great. The gold dust, the, all, all this stuff is great, but I just want more of Jesus. That's it. All that stuff comes with it because that's who Jesus is. I'm not a smoker. But back in the day when you can smoke here in San Antonio, I would go into a, a convenience store, a 7-Eleven, a stop and go, a Diamond Shamrock. You don't have those no more. <laughs> I would go into these stores. They would smell like smoke, and I would come out smelling like smoke. Why? Because I was in the presence. When you're in the presence of Jesus, things happen naturally. There was a concern with the Corinthian church. They made an effort to. They made an effort to live godly and holy. They made, they, they made an effort to live righteously. Beloved, this isn't a striving relationship. We don't wake up in the morning, I hope I can do good. I hope I can do, oh, I just got to try. I'm not going to cuss today. Oh, I'm not going to lie today. It's not about striving. It's just being with Jesus. And then you get so full of him that all that stuff, it just doesn't happen. It just, you don't, the desire is not there. You got, uh, let me, <laughs> let me go through this and I'm going to go through a, um, a, uh, it's a, it, it's a study that was done a couple years ago. A readiness that's prompt compliance. The Corinthian church, when God said do, they did it. They were ready for whatever was happening. I'm always like, Holy Spirit, what you going to do today? All right, let's go for it. That's revival. God wants us to repent, not to regret. There's so many times we mess up and we're like, oh, man, I regret that. God just says, man, it's under the blood. I used to be like that. There are sins that I've done 
some, some pretty heavy stuff. And it took me a while. And it wasn't until God said, that's in the past. Why are you drudging that up? I've forgotten it. What sin? I threw it as far, it's as far as the east is from the west. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. You're the one conjuring it up. The devil is a liar. Repentance produces a strong desire to correct wrongs. It brings a realization that our great God is holy and we can grieve him by our sins. Repentance propels us to action. Be ye holy for I am holy. When you get so full of God, you get so full of Jesus, you don't want to do those stuff because you love him so much. You don't want to hurt him. You don't want to offend him. But beloved, if we do mess up, if we do fall on the horse, I love it. He is faithful and just to forgive. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I didn't. And he's like, I got you. God is calling everyone everywhere to repent. A spirit of repentance prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. Isaiah 43 says this, a voice, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord. Matthew 3, 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is, he, this is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path for him. Today, my encouragement is let's repent. I know Roger stepped out, but we're gonna just take a few moments. We're gonna have a time of repenting. Well, let's not leave this place without getting right. So as the worship team comes up, part of repentance is getting in your word. And this is why I tell people it's so crucial that we get in the word. A few years ago, there was a study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they ran a study on 40,000 Americans from the age of 8 to 80 years old. They noticed that when you read your Bible one time a week, and that can count as coming to a church service on Sunday, it had very little effect. Two times a week, very little effect. Three times a week, you start getting a heartbeat, but nothing to write home to about. Four or more times a week, it was a game changer. What they saw in this study, they saw that loneliness dropped about 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcohol and drug use dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Amen. Discipling others jumps 130%. Maybe your repentance is, Lord, I haven't been in my Bible enough. 
I'm stagnant, I'm lonely, I feel this, I feel that. I'm gonna do what they did this Sunday or this uh, Wednesday at the conference. I'm not praying for anybody. Not that I won't, I can't, I love doing that. But what I want is you to have a conversation with the Lord. Because I guarantee he's way better at it than me. And so as the, as the team plays, if I, I really believe we all should come up here if you're able to. If you can't, you know, protect your bodies, that's okay. But I, I believe that we all need to come up, grab a chair, you can lay on the floor, you can, you know, kneel at the altar, but let's get right. Holy Spirit, what am I hiding? What are some of the secret stuff? What do I need to repent from? Is it not coming to church every week? Is it not reading my Bible? Is it getting angry with everyone? Is it angry with my wife or my husband? Is it not trusting in you? So as the worship team plays... One of the big things that I that really struck me with Pastor Irma's passing was the suddenty. One day she's here, the next day she's not. I used to have the mindset of I'll get right with God on my deathbed. You may not make it. It may be like that. And so today you might say, well, Josh, I'll repent tomorrow. I'm tired. I got things to do. You may not make it to tomorrow. And so let's just use these few moments. We're not going to be here all day, but let's use these few moments to come before the Lord and just say, Holy Spirit, and lay your, literally lay yourself bare before him. Say, here's all I have. Reveal. Show me what am I missing? So the altars are open.